0: Chapter 8 When things start to run through your fingers, when you feel helpless and scared, you might think of something safe, no matter how far away it is. Therefore, Lady Kai found himself thinking about his yabi, genus. He wondered if she still taught at the institute in Jibani, if things still corroded when she held them sometimes because she was trying to keep her emotions at bay. He thought of her long thick hair, black like his, always kept in a tidy braid that reached all the way to the back of her knees. She used to braid his hair like that. Lady Kai was born on Oranim, which, through a convoluted series of traditional pointers, meant that Genius would be his rear parent, his Yabi. He had met his two other parents on his 25th birthday and remembered little of them. They were like polite shadows, nodding approvingly somewhere in the periphery, claiming ownership he didn't want them to have. Jinnes had one life partner, and her name was Kaigarasa. She was sterner than Giness, but also much more likely to bring Lirikai raisins when Giness wasn't looking. It had taken a while for Lijikai to realize it, but Gina Sankaigarasa had many ways to control, guide, and stifle his outbursts. They would never have called them outbursts. They said he was sensitive. They saw his inability to get along with others his age as something positive. Fewer judgmental looks from other parents, fewer wooden toys turned to ash, less smell of burned hair. Maybe he should have gone back there after all. Both Genus and Kaigarasa spent their lives in institutes, before and after racing Lidikai, so they lived long. They had both lived through the Wendred. Ginas never talked about it. She had even told Lidikai not to ask her ever again that one time he had asked. Kaigarasa was different. Sometimes it just seemed to bubble out of her, over strongly brewed tea, when Lidikai couldn't sleep and Genus had already gone to bed. Kagarasa told Lidikai of a time when you could get to Kama Spire in Kanda of ice without flying and to Iraq in Still without breathing water. She told him of the blue jungles of the northern part of the snake spine, the scintillating bioluminescence of the fungi of Haimot's hinterland, and the barren salt deserts of Bloodmoor. Lidikai didn't know how much was true, and if it were true, how much of it was still the way Kaigaratha remembered it, how much she remembered correctly. Kai had tried to ask her about the state of yellow midaril after the banning of teleportation. Have you thought about how the fruits are always on this side nowadays, she had answered, not looking at him, wrist-deep in one of her massive vines in their conservatory. Lijikai hadn't asked again. He wondered if his memory of Jinez and Kagarasa was romanticized. He wondered what they were doing, right now. He wondered if they would tell him that everything would be all right. Now that Crow's lips were turning blue, and the carriage was shaking as if it would fall apart from the speed he kept. He didn't care to stop the tears slowly pouring from his eyes. It seemed like a necessary vent, preventing him from jumping into the nearest ditch. After hours of Lijikai thinking only about... The next breath, the black trunks gave way, and towering in front of him were the two tall watchtowers marking the entrance to Cheyramir. Dark wooden houses clustered behind the towers, as far as he could see. In some places, taller stone towers peeked up through the mass of roofs. Behind the blur of the outline of the town, Sena was high in the sky, spreading a bright midday haze over the settlement. It looked so peaceful. Vigikai felt as if he were intruding. There was a stable between the watchtowers and the town proper, a disorganized jumble of box stalls, tall wooden walls and poles. Three Ori in the middle of a conversation looked up at him as he approached, all with various degrees of apprehension. The two rongas gratefully stopped, legs immediately folding under them in exhaustion. Without saying anything, Lidikai jumped down from the driver's seat, regretting it instantly as his knees buckled in a motion very similar to the two valiant animals. Muttering curses, he went for the gilded handle on the black and bronze-painted, overly-adorned door of the carriage. His whole body turned cold as he saw crow. Yuri wasn't moving. Their skin was almost completely drained of red tones. The dress they had been holding against themselves had changed hue, and Crow's hand feebly holding it looked like dry mud from cracked coagulated blood. Lidica refused to check for vital signs. He just needed to get them to Taryn. She could help them. She must. As clumsily as he got Crow into the carriage, he now pulled them out, founds working on nothing but fearful adrenaline. His mouth tasted like iron. When he turned around, Crow hanging limply in his arms. One of the Ori from the group came closer, though recoiled as they saw what Lidikai was holding. I don't know what is valuable around here nowadays. Lidikai stammered, scared at what he felt prepared to do to get this Ori out of the way. Equal action, as always, the Ori said, in a manner that Lidikai couldn't be bothered to decipher. As you can see, he groaned, Crow slipping in his grasp, despite the founts helping Bit of a hurry, he breathed. The Ori in front of him was eyeing the founts on his face. Look, he continued. You need something burned to the ground or something heavy lifted. I will happily do that for you later if you can just show me where a healer lives. Preferably one by the name of Taran. Just saying her name made his throat tighten. The Ori's eyes thinned. But then they shrugged. Deal. Over there just outside the walls. They were pointing towards a little hut that was close enough to the low city wall to almost be leaning against it. His heart was pounding. Taryn was right over there. He started to move, feeling that his arms would not be able to continue what they were doing for very long. Oh, and please take care of the Rungus, he said. I think they might have saved my companion's life. I'll get you a session with a healer as payment. The promise on her behalf sent a surge of bad memories through his skull. The Ori simply nodded, now seemingly more concerned with how dead Crow looked than with the messy, exhausted Ratuya sputtering requests and promises at them while disappearing away. How many matching this description can there be coming through here? Lon said. It sounded very much like the stifled shout it was. Derry softly put a hand on Lon's forearm, brushing over the thick hairs. There, there, puppy. She won't be able to talk if you scare her mute now, will she? Lon retreated slightly from lurching over the crying, sweaty Ori, the proprietor of this place but she kept holding her against the wall. Little hooks pressed against the proprietor's back. Lon placed her closed fist, hard, against the wall. It made all the little keys on the hooks jingle in fear. The Ori whimpered. Derry shot Lon a warning look, tutting. Now I'm sure she's just upset with the colour of your shirt, my dear. Derry continued, turning towards the proprietor again, wiping some wetness from her cheek. She tried to recoil from the touch, but it only made her push her neck harder against the hooks behind her. Now, how can you help us? It is in your best interest to do so, I assure you. You keep books? The proprietor shook her head in a tremble. We pride ourselves with personal discreet service. massa. she sputtered between stiff heaves of breath. Oh, well... Derry said with a shrug. I did try, she said to Lon. I'll just have to root about in there myself then, Derry whispered to the inn worker with a sharp, wild grin, tapping her temple. Lijikai could practically hear his own blood rushing at this point. He was surprised the situation even allowed for a first impulse of running and never coming back. But one looked down at Crow, chased that away, and kindly replaced it with unmitigated panic. Grinding his teeth at how much his limbs ached by now, he kicked the wooden door to the quaint little stone cottage as hard as he could three times. There wasn't a sound at first. Smoke slowly coiled from the battered-looking chimney and the thatched roof, but the bright sun made it difficult to see if anyone was moving behind the small windows. Then, the door swung open. I'm sorry, as I have said several times on the village meetings, this is my day. Off. She finally actually looked at who was outside the door. Rasha Lidgy. It was a whisper. Lidgykai couldn't immediately stop the flood of memories that rushed over him. For a few breaths it was overwhelming. Time was momentarily a confusing singularity, a ridiculous idea someone had come up with at some point and the whole of Runa had just sort of gone with it since. Then, reality set in again, the cold skin of Crow's body clinging to him. Taryn, so many things need an explanation, but I need... <clears throat> this is, Ori needs your help. Right now. They're going to die if you don't... He had to stop, the tears blurring both his vision and thoughts. Taryn looked down. Oh. Shit. She motioned to come in and unceremoniously swept everything off something that looked like a stretcher. Lidgy Kai put Crow down there wiping his eyes to be able to see what was going on. Taryn's whole face was tense. She was not as careful as Lidjikai had been, instead rather harshly pulled Crow's fingers from the soaked piece of once-exquisite cloth their fingers cradled. She fished a pair of vicious-looking scissors out of a flat pouch hanging off her belt and quickly cut the once-red silk shirt open. He could tell she was stopping herself from audibly gasping. He leaned in to look, needed to know. Crow's abdomen was just three large holes, and Kai looked away before he could fully take in how much blood was still being lost through them. That was, until Taryn's hand was over the damage, instantly coaxing the vessels to rethink their actions. Intensely focused on what she did, Taryn gave Kai a short nod towards the rest of her house. Kadea, he whispered hoarsely, tears running freely again. He took a few steps in the direction Tarans nod had indicated. Just enough to be out of her peripheral vision. Then he stopped, looking around him as best he could through his tear-dimmed vision. The house was an incredible mess. Despite everything, Lidikai smiled. The memories of all the times they had argued over Taran's inability to keep anything tidy was a welcome thing in this desperate situation. Every surface, every shelf and cabinet was filled with dusty junk, one item away from an avalanche. Everywhere shone the light of candles, often in places that gave Lydikai a heartburn just looking at their proximity to flammable objects. He took an attempt at a deep breath. It shivered through him. The place smelled like old and new incense, beeswax, dust, and some things that were best not thought about too much underneath it all. Unsure what to do with himself, hearing Taryn's occasional mumble behind him, he went to sit down in an armchair that stood by the fireplace. Even if he would have recognised Taryn's assured posture and dark amber eyes anywhere, she looked astonishingly different from last time he saw her. He tried to see what was still the same. The ring in the left side of her large flat nose, though the one she wore now was bronze-coloured, not green, as it had been back then. Her thick, low-set eyebrows were as expressive as ever. Her warm, deep-pitched voice. Her dark brown skin seemed much healthier looking than it had back then. As did her entire frame, in all honesty. Part of that came from staying away from institutes, but she had always done that. He knew that there were a lot of ways, other than living in an institute, to make one look like a ghost, and their lifestyle together had definitely been one way of achieving that. They tried to ignore the fact that he couldn't see any visible Hexbrands on her, ignore the fear that the information he'd been given had been entirely wrong. But she was wearing a long wide robe, deep yellow silk with embroidered birds on it, which covered the skin left bare by the simple grey linen shirt and trousers she was wearing underneath it. All he could see that was bare were her hands, face and feet. It would be idiotic beyond Taryn's extraordinarily sharp mind to have Hexbrands that visible, her love of shocking people aside. She had grown her previously closely shaven black hair out, and it extended around her head in a soft symmetrical sphere. One of her feet was constantly tapping the dirty stone floor. After a while, Tarrant's back remained turned towards him. The soft yellow and green glow of the magic pouring out of her was like a rim light along her body. He still couldn't fully stop crying. Every time he thought he had managed, some diffuse memory or fear poked him and set him off again. He looked around for something to try and distract himself with, and found it in a kettle standing on the stone around the fireplace. He filled it with water from a bucket on the ground. To boil the water should feel familiar enough, but somehow it managed to feel out of place. He kept going anyway. It was something to occupy his hands with instead of scratching his skin. Allowing himself to disappear into less focused thoughts, he stared at the bubbles forming in the cast iron kettle on the spit, poking at the various metal boxes of tea Taryn had standing in illogically disparate places around the fireplace. After a while, he was sitting in the armchair again, holding a mug of tea. Any left for me? Taryn said suddenly by the fireplace as well. Beads of sweat glittered in the baby hair curls by her temples. She didn't wait for a reply, simply saw that there was indeed water left and went about making a cup for herself so I hope you actually meant for me to heal them and this wasn't some awkward reunion gift from you where you thought I could make use of the parts or something she said with a small chuckle sinking down in another armchair facing Lijikai's Lidikai practically heard his lips part at Perrin's words she looked at him stuck out her tongue then shook her head what happened then? She took a sip, but stopped with a flinch at the heat. They're going to make it. Yep. Lidika felt as if he let out a breath he had held since he woke up the previous night. (sighs) Rasashuna. He cleared his throat. Mistmass happened. Her eyes went wide. Huh. And who are they? She nodded towards Crow. A recent acquaintance that, well, not gotten to the part where you tell them about your thing for electricity yet, huh? She grinned, putting the cup down on a table next to her, not getting along with the heat at all. Guy snorted. Not that kind of acquaintance. It's a long story. It's my day off. Got the time for it. His head was racing. This wasn't how this was supposed to go, with or without the crisis that had led him here. He had things he needed to say, things he had needed to say for a very long time. Tarrant, I... He put down his tea on the table, moving to sit at the edge of the armchair, trying to show that he was ready to leave at a moment's notice, should she require that of him. I am sorry. I know that's beyond insufficient, but I am so incredibly Sorry. I should have told you that in some way a lot sooner. I shouldn't have done what I did to begin with. I promise I won't be in your way here, or ask... <laughs> well, make sure you're compensated," Liji, Tyrone said. He instantly fell silent. Everything he had said had been wrong. It had come out in the wrong order. She had said his name like a warning, but now that he looked up at her, she was smiling, albeit with a bit of a frown. Seems you think my life has revolved around you leaving me, huh? She shrugged. It really hasn't. Was I pissed? Of course. Very, in fact. Did I move on? Sure. It was so long ago, Liji. I'm sure you had your reasons, blah blah. She spun her hand in the air as she talked. Seems your life has revolved around it, though. It... Has been something I've been very ashamed of, yes. Kai's voice was quiet. Makes sense, I guess. I could be angry and move on. You just had guilt. That thing doesn't leave you no matter how hard you try, I've heard. But whatever, here we are, still alive. Who would have guessed that back in the day, huh? Kai laughed, a laugh sounding like crows in breathiness and length. And here you are, at my doorstep, thin as an Institute preceptor, with a mortally wounded Ori, who's also got a huge hex on their chest, Taryn said. Two, actually. One on their back as well. Okay, guilt cleanse over. You have got to tell me that long story now. You do not live as you learn. I didn't kill anyone. We are running from gods! And... I think we've lost them. Lon slowed down, looking behind her to make sure her ears were not fooling her. They were not. The surrounding bright green forest was quiet, apart from the rustling of trees and the occasional critter running through the moss-covered roots and saplings around them. Oh, bye. Every bloody thing I never cared about. Derry mumbled out, heaving painfully with every breath, barely able to breathe anymore at all. Lon turned to her, one bushy light brown eyebrow lifted. Are you seriously in this poor shape? She chuckled. No, I'm just pretending to die over here. With a rude gesture up towards the towering Ori next to her, Derry fell to the ground on her back, face contorted in exhaustion from their long flight from Kanda. Oh, look at that. These trees are a delight, aren't they? She continued, smiling up at the verdure above them. Lon sat down on a mossy stump with a huff, not even a little winded. She picked at something stuck between her teeth. She was feisty, Lon said after a while. Grinning up towards the afternoon sun through the leaves, it spread beautiful, intricate shadows across the green ground around them. She looked down at her dirty, bare, clawed feet. She enjoyed the contrast. Oh, she was. Derry chirped, breath finally somewhat normal again. I enjoy a bit of defiance. Not like that other one. She's let me. (laughs) Though I have to say, a little disappointed in the stamina of the city guard, or whatever they were. Angry mob? I was planning this whole thing for when they caught up. (sighs) They would have been magnificent. She laughed, loudly, a ripple from her mouth, while burrowing her oily blonde hair into the soft moss underneath her. Glad you're in a good mood again. Lon said. Well, no thanks to your little murder sprint, I would like to stress. Why did you have to be so loud? We had gotten what we needed and everything. I just lost my temper a little, Lon muttered. Derry sat up with a start, looking at Lon with a steadiness that unsettled her. You're worrying me a little, puppy. You're jeopardizing our delicate balance. You are worried about me? Lorne laughed. It sounded like a bark. Don't worry your messy little head about it. I was just tired. I'd scratch you behind your ear if it weren't so high up. Derry beamed, unsteadiness instantly back in her voice. Very well, then. She clapped her hands once and stood up, back wet from the ground. Let's find the road again. This job is starting to nestle its way into all the right chambers. Sharp crystal blinked through the blue-white of the Kajiza like a panting, nervous animal, letting out its breath in tiny, scared gasps. The ribs of Kalopis are sharp, trained, aimed, the blade of order. They have nothing to lose, so death cannot nip at them. Relativity cannot twist them as they move through the desert in forbidden ways. Who would stop them? There is no authority above her. They are her weapon, part of her body, executions of her mind. Their prey already doomed. "'Well, then, what is it you expect me to do?' Taryn said. Lady Kai chewed on his lower lip, not replying instantly, recounting his and Crow's journey here had been more difficult than he had expected it would be. Several times throughout, he had seen at least ten reasons to just quit this whole thing and go back to Eideth's. Had his only option really been Taryn when it came to finding anything out about Crow's situation?' How much of it had actually been his desperate itching to learn abstraction from someone? Was that even a viable plan, after all? He had said nothing about the latter, but he still felt exposed, despite the best efforts from Taryn's home. Do you have any immediate ideas? he said eventually. His tea was cold, but he drank it anyway. I mean, I guess, Taryn said. Her mug was empty, having had plenty of time to both wait for it to cool down and drink it. But that kind of augury is, you know, it is what it is. I can't guarantee anything, is all I'm saying. I should be able to, um, trace the Hex brand, for lack of a better word, without getting too technical on you. But, yeah, can't exactly promise that what I find out is going to be of any tremendous help or anything. I'm sure knowing more will be appreciated by them. Tch, <laughs> Taryn sounded standing up. Not always true when it comes to this corner of magic, my friend. Lady Kai stood up as well, following Taryn, who had gone over to Crow. They were not conscious, and everything around them was blood-stained and messy, but Lady Kai saw clearly that the previously massive tears in their stomach were scabbed over lines, pinched together again. Taryn had drawn symbols around the injury, which seemed to be something that constantly worked to heal them. Little glyphs, slowly pulsating with a yellowish light. He had never seen that sort of magic on a person before, only on inanimate objects. "'Pretty neat, huh?' she said, nudging him a little in his ribs. He instinctively tensed up, still reeling from aftershocks of how close of a call this had been, apparently. (sighs) "'You're as skilled as I remember,' he said softly. "'I'm sorry, was that a compliment?' Taran said, eyes and mouth both wide at Ligikai. He didn't look at her. I'll also have you know that I am far more skilled than I used to be, she continued. Listen, I'd offer you to stay, believe it or not, but the only other bed-like surface is a little occupied, she gestured towards Crow with a flourish. Ligikai held up his hands, smiling carefully. I wouldn't want to impose. Not imposing if I'm asking you, he huffed. Tell me where to find an in. Through the gates, take a right on Viola's alley. Continue about 100 yards or so. You should find the Teradia. Ugh, Lidicae groaned. Yes, yes, I know puns aren't their strong suit, but mushroom pie to die for. And clean beds, which isn't the surest bet around here, honestly. Lidicae picked up the cloak he had thrown off himself earlier and scratched his scalp, regretting doing so this time as well just as he had the previous hundred times he had done so, he reckoned. I just remembered, he said. I promised the hostlers that I'd help them with magical needs in exchange for guiding me here and taking care of the carriage and the rungus that I stole, I suppose. I think I also accidentally sold away your services as well. I was a bit stressed. Taryn chuckled. <laughs> Everyone here owes me at least threefold, don't worry about it. Let me know if they give you trouble. Oh, and... She went over to one of her many coats, going through the pockets, eventually tipping a few glass beads into Lidikai's hand to pay for the room. Cheira is big enough to use a bit of traveler's currency nowadays, at least in the inns. He put the little beads in one of his trouser pockets, and she gave him a friendly clap on the back. He coughed. You know she said, as he made for the door. For someone who left me in the hands of five armed guards, it's good to see you again, Didji. Surprised, he realised he had to make an effort to not cry again. He looked at her, carefully. And for someone I've thought about with only shame for 28 years, it's good to see you again as well. But who's counting, eh? she said, rolling her eyes. He put his hand on the door handle. Oh, hey, actually. Taryn said. Won't they be, you know, a little freaked about waking up here, completely unknown place, having been stabbed to death, and so on? She motioned towards Crow again. This has been our goal for quite some time. They're clever. They'll figure it out. Again with the compliments. Sheesh, who are you? Terran said with a small laugh. I'll be back in the morning. I'd say. Uh, he'll go... There? Terence said, squinting at him. Lady Kay shook his head. Your grammar is off. (laughs) Oh, screw it. She laughed, waving him off and closed the door after him.